You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Real Life. Um, we have, uh, we're going to continue on in our series, as Jolene said, um, but I, I just want to share something with you. First of all, I, uh, I, I'm Corbin, and I love positive feedback. Um, emphasize positive there. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you all have lots of feedback, but let's, let's focus on the positive. Uh, and I got some, I got some this week. Uh, I got to meet with Emmy, the youth pastor over in Moscow, and, and we were talking, and she shared with me that someone from their congregation joined us while I was preaching, and, and uh, she said, yeah, that young guy, he did, he did really good. Uh, he, I think he's like the junior intern of the church, and I was like, whoo. So I just want to clarify for everybody here. I'm the youth pastor, okay? So like that, that's my role here at the church. Uh, so just so you know that. Um, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, um, thank you just once again for the opportunity to come here and uh, share your word. I pray, Lord, that right now as me and Justin uh, dive into this passage that you can help us unpack it and uh, that you can, Holy Spirit, speak into our lives what uh, you want us to take away uh, and how we can better serve you as a group of believers. Uh, we give this time over to you. It's yours, not ours. Uh, do with it what you will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, okay, so uh, we are team teaching today. Uh, this is an, uh, a, a cool thing that I like uh, to do um, where I get to work with somebody else. And we've been using this series uh, to get some fresh faces up here so you don't have to keep staring at the same ugly old mugs. Um, you're right. Yeah, that's a good one to laugh at because I am beautiful. So, um, but uh, we, we get to team teach. And one of the things I like about team teaching is, is pre- preaching is a hard thing to do. Because if you, if you do a great job, you have to say, well, it was all God. God did a great job, you know? And then if you do a bad job, well, it was all me, I guess. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to say God did a bad job, guys. I don't know what to tell you. No. Uh, so, but when you team teach, now, I, I can blame Justin for all the hey, bad I things that happened him. today. So, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we get a yeah, scapegoat for that. Um, but just so you know, we both work uh, with, with youth kids. Uh, so first service got a little taste of this last, or last service, yeah, they, they got a taste of this. We say things quickly, uh, and we say things succinctly, uh, because we've got a limited window of attention to, to deal with with youth kids. So we have to say things as, as quick as possible and as succinctly as possible so that like, we can get our point across before they start thinking about something else. We also have a bit of ADD ourselves. So like, we have to stay on target. So we're going to move through this pretty quickly. Um, but if you stay with us, then uh, it, you'll learn something, I, I promise. Um, I have gotten the pleasure of working with this young man for the past... Uh, 10 months, uh, even when he wasn't working here, he was helping out in Moscow while there, while there was no youth ministry going on here, uh, and then I stole him back. Uh, Emmy is still bitter about that, which I love. Um, but he's, he's a phenomenal young man, um, and he's been doing wonderful things with our youth ministry and in his home group. Um, but uh, even more than that, he's been uh, an awesome friend. Uh, so I'll let Justin, you, you share a little bit about yourself. Sweet. Uh, like Corbin said, my name's Justin. And my role around here is that I'm the actual junior intern. Um, 
that's a joke. What my role around here is, is I volunteer with the youth ministry. Um, I've been coming to real life for about four years, and I was maybe about three or four months in when I started volunteering for the youth ministry in Pullman. As he said, I also helped out over in Moscow. Um, and now I'm back over here helping with him because he needs all the help he can get. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Uh, also, I lead a home group, uh, and so I've gotten an op- awesome opportunity to uh, pour into those people's lives as they pour into me um, and experience some discipleship over there. Um, that being said, a little bit more about me. I grew up in a little small town called Elko, Nevada. Um, Corbin likes to give me a lot of flack because he thinks that there's nothing in Nevada, um, and he's correct. Um, there's <laughs> literally nothing there um, now that I've moved away because I'm up here. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Um, that being said, we have, that's enough about me, we've been talking about Forever Changed, and we've been looking at these instances where someone is face-to-face, so they have an interaction with Jesus. Um, we had one that was Moses where he had an interaction with God, and then we look at that story and we go, how was their life changed after that? How did they get forever changed by the power of Jesus to, um, from that point on, so that way their story was a little different? They had a different story to tell the world. Um, We've looked at different folks such as Mary and Nicodemus. And today we're going to be looking at the strangers on the road to Emmaus. Um, Having said that, let's dive into the scripture. Right. Uh, So we're looking in Luke chapter 24. Uh, It should be in your notes or if you have a Bible, Bible app. uh, But also the words will be on the screen if you want to look there. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Everyone say Emmaus. Nice. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with him, but they were kept from recognizing him. So we've got these two young men. We end up learning one of their names is Cleopas, um, but, af- but other than that, we don't know too much. The other guy, I don't know, he, his name could be Jerry or Larry, I don't know. Um, but we don't know. They're on their way to a town called... Emmaus, good, you, you know that. Uh, so, and it's seven miles from Jerusalem, uh, which to give you a frame of reference, Moscow is eight miles from here. So it's a, it's a similar distance as Moscow is from here. And they're walking away, assume, assume, we're assuming that they're going home. Uh, they, they've got to, they, they came for Passover, they witnessed all the events uh, of Jesus being crucified. They saw all these things happening leading up uh, to Jesus's death. Uh, and now they're going home. Um, and, and as we learned, like, they, they've probably been following Jesus for a while. They know quite a bit about him. Uh, and so this, this experience is, is, is pretty brutal. And they're unpacking it as they're walking home. They're, they're talking with each other and saying, man, what just happened? How, how do we deal with this? Uh, and, and, and what we just saw and what is happening and what does it mean? What does all this mean? Like, we thought we knew what Jesus was and, and yet he's, he's dead, and how do we deal with that? So they're walking home, uh, and uh, along the way, Jesus himself comes, and, and, and he, he hears his ears burning. They're talking about him. He's like, ooh, I'm going gonna, gonna to go stroll up with these guys and hear what they have to say. Um, and it says right here that they were kept, kept from recognizing him. Um, and in Greek, the, the word krateo, it means that it, it's a power preventing them from seeing Jesus, from understanding who he is. So it's not just like something's in their eyes or they have bad vision or Jesus is wearing some kind of weird disguise. Um, It's not that. There's a power literally 
holding them back from recognizing Jesus and who he is. Uh, so they don't recognize him, uh, but they're still talking about him, and Jesus is walking and, and listening in on their, their conversation. So we'll move on. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So Jesus asked him a question. He's got this awesome opportunity uh, to hear what they have to say without them knowing that it's him asking. I, I think this shows a little bit of the humanity of Jesus because I know that me and my heart, I would love depending on the person, I would love to hear their impression of me uh, without them knowing that it was me. Like, I love to hear that kind of feedback. I love when people come to me and tell me, oh, hey, you're so awesome. Like, yeah, I know. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, but it feels even better when somebody behind my back shares those things, and I'm like, oh, they really, they really think that. And I know that because they weren't even talking to me. Uh, and Jesus gets this opportunity to hear their side of the story. And so he's asking them, what are you guys talking about? Like, well, you're, let's, uh, what, what, what is this that's going on here? Um, but remember, they, they, are, they are traumatized by what just happened. So they stop. They stop and they look him incredulous in the face and say, where have you been? Like, what rock have you been under, man? There, there's been so much going on. How do you not know what just happened? Uh, and and the, the thing that we have to take away from this is that they, they were downcast. Downcast. Um, they're upset, and um, they're feeling the weight of everything that just happened. Uh, and and it's, there's no hope to be found right now. Um, so we'll continue on. What things, Jesus asked, I imagine he says it with a smirk, like, what things are you talking about, you know? Who is this guy? And they tell him, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. So they share with Jesus, not knowing that it is Jesus, what, what, what they thought happened, what they believed happened. That they had been following this man, this man named Jesus, that he, he had shown them that he was a prophet. He, he spoke the words of a prophet. He shared things that only a prophet would know, and he, he, he declared the message of God. And he did things that were powerful, both in word and deed. He did things that, that showed them that he was from God, that this was a, the real deal. Uh, and so they knew there's something special about this man, and they've been following him, learning more about him, and starting to, to fall in love with, with who he is. And that, that they were expecting him, and that's what it says, we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he would be the Messiah. And so we see in this moment, first, like they were really believing in Jesus, they were really believing that this man was more than just a man. But on top of that, we see that they say this hoped, past tense. That hope that we had had in him, the hope that we were placing in him, all the love that we were, we were like fixating on this man. He's going to be something special. He's going to do something amazing for us. But it's, it's gone now. It has died because Jesus is dead. Uh, and so they, they are saying this in past tense. This hope is now dead with Jesus. Let's move on. In addition, uh, this is still the, 
those two young men. They're still talking and telling Jesus their story. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. So they've heard this story. We, we, we covered this a couple months ago about uh, Mary. Mary was the first one to um, experience uh, the resurrected Jesus. She's the first one to see him, and she began to spread that word. Uh, and then Peter, uh, and we, if you remember the sermon, Peter and John run there, and John just noted that he was faster than Peter, uh, and he got there first. And, and so we understand that these, these two men uh, were trying to verify this story, and they saw the t- tomb was empty. And so these, these guys that are leaving Jerusalem, they're walking away, their face downcast, their hope is lost. Uh, they've already heard the story that Jesus is resurrected. They've already heard this, but they haven't believed it. And, and in, uh, in the Greek, it says that um, Jesus is going to call them out, and he's going to say something to them. So let's, let's uh, read that. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe. And in the Greek, it says slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So we have have these guys downcast. They're upset. They've been told the story that Jesus is resurrected, but they don't yet believe. And let's not be too hard on them. We we have a a tendency to not want to believe good things. Um, I know that the, the best analogy I can come up with uh, is that uh, I, have, I have had a tendency uh, to not believe girls like me. Like, I mean, I know it seems crazy because I got all this going on. Um, but everyone laughs at those moments. I don't know. Um, but I still have a tendency not to believe that. Why? Because I don't want to get my hopes up and then be disappointed. And so it, I think it's easy for us to understand that these guys, after being, going through everything they've just gone through, they, first they, they follow this man and they start to believe in him like, man, this guy's the real deal. And then to watch him be paraded through the streets, brutally uh, beaten uh, and then hung on a cross to die. They, they got to watch all that happen, traumatic enough as it is just to see that, but to, to have placed their hope in it and now to be disappointed that that man uh, is gone and their hope is dead. And so they've, they've said, and we, we hear it's a third day. Uh, so they spent two days just dealing with this grief, and finally they get enough strength to just, we gotta go home. And then they hear the word, oh, Jesus isn't in the tomb. And instead of just jumping to believe, they're like, you know what? Until I see it, I don't wanna believe. I don't wanna go through that pain again. I don't wanna be disappointed again. So I'm not gonna believe just yet. And so uh, Jesus calls them out and says, you're slow of heart. You're slow of heart. You're afraid to be hurt so you don't believe. And that's, that's, that's one of the key things that he's calling out. Uh, and then he, he points out the thing that they've missed. The point that they don't understand is that they're thinking he's not the Messiah because he died. But the truth is, and what Jesus is trying to explain to them, I am the Messiah because I died. That, that happened. And, and so your hope, you're placing this hope on me, uh, and it's now dead because I'm dead, but we, we who know the story and know that the resurrection has happened, our hope is alive, and so should theirs, because he is alive. 
Uh, and so that's, that's the unpacking that Jesus does with them. In verse 27, he says, uh, he points all, all of Scripture and, and points them back to this, like this had to happen. Uh, and I love this verse because this is like one moment that I wish I could go back in time and see. This is the best sermon never recorded. Uh, as he's sharing with them how everything points back to him. And in college, I had to learn uh, a couple of different phrases, and I'll teach them to you. Uh, exegesis and eisegesis. So first say eisegesis. Eisegesis, right, good. Uh, and that's you looking into the Bible, reading it, and interjecting the word I into everything. This book is about me. This is God's word it directly to me. Uh, and, and in college, we were taught not to do this. Uh, because while the Bible was written for you, it was not written to you. And there's a difference. Uh, and so they, they had us learn the phrase exegesis. So everyone say exegesis. And so we had uh, to use exegesis where we had to look at the Bible and, and find out who was writing it. Who were they writing it to? What was going on in the culture and the time? Who was the audience and what were they intending uh, to tell that audience? And so we had to look at that and unpack that to understand scripture uh, and not just focus in on ourselves and our own personal lives. Uh, and, and in doing that, scripture began to open up and, and mean so much more to me as I learned that. Uh, but Jesus is doing exactly what I was taught not to do. He's, he's telling them, guys, everything you've read, it's about me. All right? And so he's unpacking this. Now, again, they still don't know that it's Jesus, but he's, he's, he's pulling it down. He's using eyes to Jesus. But in, in Jesus' case, he's the only one allowed to do this um, because in his case, the scripture is all about him. Uh, his death, and as we've learned, his resurrection is the key point of not just his ministry, not just his life, not just that time period, but all of history, all of creation has led up to this moment, this time. Not just his death, but his resurrection. This is a key pinnacle moment in, in, in all of God's creation. And he has been boiling it up to this moment. He's been setting up for here and now. And Jesus is pointing it all out. This is, do you see this? You see this passage? You know this. All of these things that have happened, it led up to this right here, right now. That I would die and, and resurrect again. Um, so that's just an awesome moment for them to unpack that. But they still, they still have this power preventing them from recognizing Jesus. And so they are still downcast. They are still upset and, and distraught over the fact that the Messiah that they were starting to believe in is dead. And we have to understand that you and I see this through a different lens. We understand that there is a resurrection. We understand that Jesus isn't dead, that he is alive, and that our hope is in him and still alive in him. For them, right at this moment, they're not changed yet. They haven't been forever changed, not because they haven't encountered Jesus, but because they've walked through this and seen him die and their hope is dead in him. And so we have to understand this key and most important point that we have to continually believe in the resurrection, not just on Easter. You wonder why you're so pumped up on Easter. It's because you're, you're focusing on the resurrection. But if you want to be pumped up more often about being a Christian, remember that resurrection is a key part of what we believe. That Jesus, our, our hope and, and our, the mercy that we, we experience happened because of the cross. But we have hope for the future. We have life eternal to look forward to because of the resurrection. 
And so that's what they don't yet understand. Uh, Justin's going to unpack the rest of this passage, but they haven't quite grasped this. And as soon as they do, that's when the forever change begins to take place in their life. So we have to remember and reflect on the resurrection. The story continues on. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, what we see here is that Jesus, he's pretending. He's playing a little game with him. He's pretending that he's going to walk on a little bit further, that Emmaus isn't his stopping point. But they have been a part of Jesus' ministry for some length of time. We're aware of that much. It could be up to the full three years. It could be just shortly before his death. But we know that they have been involved in his teachings. And they know that one of the things that Jesus did was he, or like he went to people's homes and he had meals with them. Um, so following those teachings, I want to give him a little credit. They followed the teachings. They're like, hey, come in with us. The day's almost over. Why don't you come in with us and we'll have a meal. So he goes with them. Uh, it continues on. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, we see Jesus sits down at the table, breaks the bread, gives thanks for it, and then he starts passing it out to them. Um, and it's my firm belief in this portion of the Bible right here, Jesus is doing a whole lot more than just breaking bread. Um, he begins to break a bunch of things all around him. So first he breaks the bread and their eyes um, are able to see him. He breaks that power, that criteo that Corbin was talking about earlier, that's concealing them from recognizing who he is. In the same moment, Jesus is also breaking this idea that they're hopeless. Um, that they get to have hope because he has resurrected and they recognize him and there's power associated with that. And at the same time, Jesus is breaking that power that sin and death had over him that we get to experience today. In that same moment, he's just breaking bread and they recognize him and that criteo is gone and they say, were not our hearts burning? Wasn't something important about that guy that made us just feel his presence and feel his power. Didn't we feel God swelling up inside of us? Were not our hearts burning as he was talking to us on the road? Um, and then when he was opening the scriptures to us. Uh, and the last part here. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So Jesus has this interaction with them and they immediately have a response. And their immediate response is that although we've just walked the seven miles and made it all the way to Emmaus, we're going to turn back around and head back. They got up immediately and went back and found the 11 and started sharing their story. They started saying, look, Jesus has resurrected. Um, what folks were saying this morning that the tomb was empty, it's true. He's here. Um, and there's something going on. And they just immediately take that trek back um, because their hearts were burning. They felt him. They felt there was something special. So we got to do something. We got to go back to Jerusalem. 
Um, and from this, there were two things that Corbin and I felt that God was laying on our heart. Um, the first one, I have an illustration for, and I wanted to tell you all about last summer, I got the opportunity to go on a four-day kayaking tour. Um, so we were going to cover 40 miles across four days. And during this trip, um, there was one individual with us who, at no fault of their own, just wasn't as competent in outdoor skills. Um, that presented a few challenges for them. And one of those challenges was that they were placed in a tandem kayak, so that way they had another person that was able to give extra paddle strength, so that way we could keep going for the distance that we needed to each of the days. Um, that ended up being me. Um, but one of the deals with the tandem kayak is that you need to make sure that you and your partner are very in sync, that you're very in rhythm with each other. So when I put my right pedal down, your right pedal goes down as well. And when I put my left pedal down, your left pedal goes down as well. And same, going down the river. Um, and I remember for the first two days, uh, we just weren't in sync. Um, and myself and other people tried coaching. We tried saying, hey, try this. Um, hey, you just need to do this better. Um, you just need to do this. And I remember having a thought conversation with God um, where I was like, God, just give me something. Like, help us get on the same page. Like, get us in the same um, step with one another. And God was like, hey, just verbalize everything. Every motion that you take, every move that you make, just say it. Um, and so for the next two days, I was on the river. Every time I put my right pedal down, I'd go right. Every time I put the left pedal down, go left. Right. Left. And I was probably the most annoying person on the water that day. Uh, because for six, seven hours a day, you just hear me going right, left, right, left. And we got our rhythm down, and we were getting it, and we were rolling. Um, I tell you that. Because that's the picture that comes into my mind for Jesus when he's walking down the road with them. That as they're taking their steps right and left down the road, as they're walking away from the hope of everything that they had believed in, as they're taking these steps saying, the mission hasn't fallen on us yet. We don't get it because the, res the gravity of resurrection hasn't set on us yet. Jesus comes alongside them and says, listen, I'm going to take it step by step with you until we get to the spot where we're going, until it makes sense, until you recognize the gravity of what just happened. Um, and that was the first thing that we wanted to take away from this is that sometimes it's a process. That our forever change stories look a lot more like forever changing because Jesus is willing, no matter what it takes, to sit in the boat with us or walk along the road with us, step in step, right, then left, until it makes sense. Until we are being forever changed by him. And the second point is this. Um, it's that your story has power. Your story has power. Because Jesus was resurrected, because he died and then three days later came back, your story has now been filled with that power of the resurrection. When they heard it and he vanished away from them, when they recognized him, their immediate reaction was they got up and they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the 11 of what had happened. And I believe that we have the same um, power and the same just, uh, yeah, the same power of God inside of us to go and share that story of the resurrection, to get up immediately and go back because we've been changed by him. Um, and this 
dinner um, as they're sharing this story and folks who were sharing the story of the empty tomb earlier, Jesus appears to them. Um, and then this conversation as they're sitting around dinner starts to be the sparks that would start the early church that we get to read about next. It starts to be the conversations that turn into them hanging out in the temple all the time so that way we can get to the early church and then 2,000 years later, we get to sit in an auditorium just like this. So, there's two things. Sometimes it's going to be a process, but your story has value. Your story has power. And with that, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. Right, so those of you preparing to serve communion, you can start doing that. Uh, we here at Re Real Life, we have an open table, which means uh, if you believe in, in Jesus uh, and his death and resurrection, uh, you are welcome to partake with us. Um, by all means, go ahead and do it. Um, that being said, if, if you haven't yet placed your faith and hope in Jesus, uh, you can do so right now and, and take communion with us. As they pass those out, we're going to go through some implications, just some main points that we want you to take away from this morning and this passage that, that spoke to us. Uh, and the first thing uh, is, like I said, the resurrection. It is vital to the gospel, the entirety of Scripture, and you. Uh, it's important to the gospel. That's obvious. That Jesus had to die and resurrect. That's, that's obviously, that's the focal point of the gospel. But even more than that, outside of this, uh, it's important to all of scripture. The Old Testament sets up beautifully all these things that we, we understand because we understand, we know the end of the story. But the people at that time didn't quite grasp uh, how important Jesus was to the entirety of scripture. Uh, and Jesus is walking with them. As Justin said, uh, he is walking with them in step and he is... Um, he is telling them, hey, everything that you've heard, everything that you've been taught is pointing to this. Uh, I had to go through what I had to go through. I know that it was traumatic, but it, it, was, it was an important step that I had to go through so that you could be saved. Uh, you, you felt that the Messiah couldn't die, but you now understand that the Messiah had to die so that you could live. Um, and so he's walking through that, and he's pointing out this, that while he... While that death is important, the resurrection is just as important because without it, we have no hope. But Jesus is alive, and so our hope is alive with him. And the second implication is this, is that lasting change occurs when you are committed to the mission of Christ. Um, we had talked about earlier that they were just involved as they were talking about Jesus along the road, um, but the gravity had not set in for them yet. And I want to draw a difference between the words involved and committed. Um, involved just being like you know about it, you've heard about it, but committed being, hey, I'm bought in, um, I'm sold out, um, this is my mission as much as it is his, um, and I'm going to be all in for him. Um, and so lasting change occurs when we get that level of committedness to the mission of Jesus Christ. Uh, the last and final implication is sometimes forever change moments are an ongoing process. Our job is to trust in his process to carry us through that change. Our job is to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to keep walking down the road um, with you, Jesus, until we get this thing figured out. I like that in this implication, it was specifically worded so that way the first two were very you-centric, um, that the resurrection is important to you and that forever change happens when you are committed, but this one is our and this one is us. Um, that's because part of it falls on, the part of the responsibility falls on our communities on your home groups. So as Jesus is walking with this person step in step, right then left, um, so too should our communities. So too should your home group say, you know what, 
this might be a change portion that you're going through. It might not feel like the most comfortable thing ever, but we're going to take it step in step with you, right then left, until we are committed to this mission of Jesus Christ. Right. So we're going to move towards communion. And uh, the, on the last night, Jesus broke the bread, and, and that's what we, we had discussed, the power um, that was shielding them from recognizing who Jesus really was, was broken. Um, and, and for us today, we, we, we see that uh, because of his resurrection, the power that was withholding us uh, from seeing Jesus is also uh, broken, and we celebrate that. And I love the, the symbolism of communion, uh, that all of us are doing this personally. This is a personal thing for each and every one of us. We all have personal relationships with Jesus, but we also take it together. That while I am experiencing uh, this, you are also experiencing this. And the whole point of this whole Forever Change series is pointing out that we need to share our stories with each other because while this is an intensely personal thing, it's also a community and collective thing. Uh, and, and it gains power, as Justin was sharing it. it. It shows its power all the more and changes us all the more when we share it with each other. When I share it with you, Jesus means a lot to me and he's changed my life. And then you say, hey, same. I feel the same way. Jesus has changed my life. And that's the power of the community that Jesus set up. So as we take that, remember, remember that the, the personal implication that, that that shares for you, but also remember the collective things. So Jesus on the last night, he broke the bed, passed it and said, this is my body, which I will break for you. Take and eat everyone. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, reminding them that, hey, this cup is a new covenant, my blood. Whenever you do this, whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us into this space. Um, thank you for being the type of God that's willing to walk the process through with us. Thank you for being the type of God that when we pray, we can rest assured that we are praying to you, even though you know it's already happened, that you want to hear it from our angle. And that you're willing to walk those moments out with us and whatever it takes to be close to you you're willing to go through it with us too so god thank you for your character being that way thank you for being the god that you are we love you and we praise you amen thanks for checking out this message from real life on the palouse you can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on facebook and instagram until next time have a great week